a Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move. Down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He won't say the score. Come on, who's winning? towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. You're listening to the original Say the Damn Score podcast, part of the Say the Damn Score podcast network. Here's your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome back to the Say the Damn Score podcast. As the big voice guy just said, I'm Logan Anderson, and I am in the almost world-famous Say the Damn Score studio in my basement office in Burnsville, Minnesota. This podcast is all about sportscasting, and I talk with sportscasters or people adjacent to sportscasting to share stories and deep dive into different paths to success in the business. In the last episode, I promised we'd have more real talk about the sportscasting business, and that is what I hope to bring in this episode. As pretty much anyone who listens to this show probably already knows, this is a really tough business that takes both an enormous amount of sacrifice and skill to have any chance of moving up and making it big, in air quotes. For every story you hear of someone who caught just the right break or met the right person at the right time, There are just as many, if not more, stories of people who never caught a big break and either do phenomenal work uh, without the prestige or who leave the business altogether. I think that this way of thinking is a really flawed one and that if you think outside the box and re-examine your definition of success, you'll find that there are many different ways to have a great career in sportscasting. John Kurtz has been a friend of mine since 2016, and he is the perfect person to have this discussion. A, he's an immensely talented sportscaster who was the 2011 Jim Nance Award a runner-up for the top collegiate sportscaster. He worked full-time out of school at a radio station in Manhattan, Kansas, where he hosted a popular talk show called local high school games, and filled in for several uh, Division I Kansas State University broadcasts. But ultimately, when it came to catching a big break and landing a regular Division I broadcasting gig or a major market radio job, for whatever reason, he continued to come close, but was just never able to get over the hump. This eventually led to him thinking outside the box, and finding new ways to expand his platform and redefine ways to be successful, both content creation-wise, financially, and just happiness in life-wise. I do want to give one note before we get started into this episode, is that I bring up the name Alex Faust, who was the winner of the Jim Nance Award in John's class in 2011, and later in the show... I have a brain cramp, and I accidentally call him Eric Faust for whatever reason. I know who he is. And Alex, if you're listening, I'm a big fan of your work, and I do oh, and I do know your name. So without further ado, John Kurtz, welcome to the show. Hey, absolutely. Anytime, man. It's great to catch up. And for those of you who are listening, and if this sounds a little bit like two friends catching up, that's partially what it is going to be. Uh, we've known each other since I think 2016 uh, when we went to the what was then the NSSA Hall of Fame weekend and have kept in touch, listened to a lot of each other's work, and uh, supported each other since then. But I think you have a really interesting story, and as I mentioned on the last episode, we're going to have some changes to this podcast. We're still going to talk about sports casting, but instead of going after maybe the biggest names, and the people trying to move the needle. I want to focus more on what makes a successful sportscaster, what goes into that, and the many different pathways to get there. And I think you have a really interesting story that uh, I think will will be useful as far as maybe not a way to model a path, because that's what I've learned more so than anything, is there is no uh, one path uh, in this business, but different ways of thinking outside of the box and doing well. But let's start off with you as the runner-up 
in the Jim Nance Award in 2011. Some regrettable pictures were taken, but <laughs> uh, you look at that class, and I did just a a quick little research into that. Uh, the winner that year was Alex Faust, who is now the voice of the Los Angeles Kings. It looks like uh, Brian Bush was in that class. Uh, he's doing basketball for the University of Michigan, and Pat Boylan is working for the Pacers. He was an All-American. It was kind of a loaded class, and you got second. What did that mean to you at the time, and what does it mean now? Man, it's crazy. I First of all, I was laughing. You, you sent me a picture that I did take for like an article that got written about that, which is cracking me up, just old, old, uh, old young John, but uh, John from about 11 years ago. That was crazy. I appreciate you doing that. Um, man, it, at the time I was shocked. Like I was really shocked. I had just stumbled across STAA and I'm trying to remember exactly how it was that I first got connected with that. But in my mind, I just, I, I held everybody that was an all American previously. And like some of the sportscasters that I would just go on the website, like shout out to John for doing what he does, John Chalesnik and having that site. I, I would just go like, listen to different sportscasters across the country. And I was just blown away by some of the talent that was out there. So I never in a million years thought that I was going to be an All-American, the runner-up. Um, I was hoping to be in the top 25 for sure. Um, and I'll never forget. I still remember the moment that I found out about it. I was laying in bed. I, it was like a lazy Saturday or Sunday, some weekend day. I, I don't Maybe it was during the week. I just The list came out, and I didn't see it. I had a couple of friends at K-State who, were also, who had also entered, and they were keeping better tabs on it than I was. And I just got a text from my friend that was like, dude, like, Number two, that's crazy. And I was like, well, what is he talking about? Like, did someone else get number two? And I remember, like, pulling up the list and seeing myself number two, and I was just blown away. Um, and obviously, I mean, you referenced it, like the talent there. I've always kept tabs on Alex Faust just because, you know, he was the guy in my class that won. And, like, just um, looking at his success and what he's done in his career, it's crazy. And to think that I was, you know, in the in the same breath as, as him is unbelievable. So just very grateful to everybody that – um, was a part of that. And, and it's also funny for me to think back to it at the time because my, my sports casting ability was just so far ahead of my life ability at that <laughs> point in time. You know, it was just like an immature college kid that just I didn't have a, a confidence, social skills, social graces, like just a lot of things like that that I think back to it. I'm like, good, guys, a good thing I didn't win because I don't know that I would have presented myself very well at that point in time, but very humbling and just interesting to look back in life on like where I was at at that point in time and just how much I've evolved as a person uh, since then. And just, you know, kind of like we talked a little bit about before we came on um, to actually record this, just like how my definition of success and my life and, and career and happiness and all these different things that factor into, you know, productive life, how much differently I think about it now, as opposed to what I did when that was really the only thing I was chasing back in, in 2011 was sportscasting. At what point did you first catch the bug for sports casting? Uh, usually the people who are that polished in college started in high school. I believe that's the case with you. Tell me if I'm right or wrong and just walk us through the Cliff Notes version of your path to that point, uh, to the Nance Award. Yeah. So I definitely was, I was raised on K State football and college football and like that was my life, um, as a kid. I, I grew up in, the Kansas City area, first Wichita, and then when I was 10, we moved to Kansas City, both within about a couple hours of Manhattan, Kansas, um, where K-State's located. Grandparents lived there. Dad went to school there. It was in my blood. I was born the year Bill Snyder got to K-State, so right as this incredible turnaround came uh, you know, with the football program where they were they were great. I mean, in the middle of my childhood, they won 11 games uh, six times in a seven-year stretch. They were really good. And so I, I caught the bug from that. Like I grew up listening to Mitch Holtis who's now the play-by-play voice of the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, I grew up listening to Greg Sharp, man. I, I mean, Greg Sharp was the guy like pro the guy that I formulated my early sportscasting career off of the most. It was Greg Sharp, who was the voice of K-State, and now is the voice at Nebraska. Um, yeah, which I know makes you happy, but just a great, phenomenal dude and a phenomenal, phenomenal broadcaster. I mean, I loved listening to him as the play-by-play -play guy at K-State. So I got into high school. And we, I was fortunate in a school district where we had like a TV news kind of program. So I was sort of our sports guy for that, shooting sports highlights and voicing, doing voiceovers and stuff. So my original path when I got to college was like, all right, maybe I take this in the TV, you know, like local TV kind of range. 
But when I first got to school, I had a friend that was like, dude, if you just go to this radio class, they, they just gave me a radio show. I can do whatever I want with it. I was like, really? And then I found out they were broadcasting K-State games. Like I could broadcast football games and I was like, okay, well sign me up. But I pretty much poured myself completely into it from there. And the original goal and the path that I went down, you know, when I was entering the dance award was, was play by play. Like I wanted to be a, the, the radio play by play voice of a college, whether or not it was going to be K-State. I just wanted to get to that point. I never really thought beyond that at the point that I got to uh, where I won uh, the Nance award. And obviously things kind of evolved and, and changed from then, but that was, that was sort of the path, man. I got, got to go to all these great college football games growing up. And that, that definitely put the bug in. And after college, you got in, I believe right away at Manhattan broadcasting where you had a sports talk show. You did a lot of a local high school play by play leading up to some of the division one fill-ins uh, that you got at Kansas state. How did those evolve? Yeah, so I was I was very, uh, you know, you mentioned luck and like fortune comes in and a lot of the I was really fortunate the way things worked out like initially out of school because I I interned at Manhattan Broadcasting which was one of the few times I think when I was younger and you know if there are younger sportscasters listening to this one thing I would just stress to you is like relationship build as much as you can and I know John Chelesnick always likes to call it relationship building instead of networking and I like that too and that's really what it takes I didn't do a lot of that when I was younger at all I didn't understand the importance of it and um, just frankly wasn't really ready with my social skills to do a ton of it but one thing that I did do was I responded to an ad I remember seeing an ad that they had openings for internships at Manhattan Broadcasting I knew they did this pregame show that I really liked and, um, you know, some of the guys that worked there were, were a pretty big deal around town. So I was like, okay, well, this would be great. I was able to get in. I started as an intern and, um, this, like the day I graduated college, which I'd been working, I, I went from intern to actually like part-time worker, but it was running boards, you know, nothing glamorous. And the day that I graduated was a Saturday. Lucky enough, they had a full-time opening coming open the Monday after the day that I graduated. So I got a full-time job. You know, I mean, it's the typical like story in radio, right? Like full-time job making like $24,000 a year. Um, half of it was producing uh, videos for our FM morning shows, just kind of goofy videos. They were fun, but you know, it wasn't sports. And then the other half, I was running the board um, for our two hour daily sports talk show. So that's, that's kind of how I got started. Uh, Matt Walters was a big mentor of mine who does sidelines and women's basketball at K-State. Um, he was an excellent broadcaster there and I learned a ton from him. And then when he left to go kind of follow a similar path, to be honest, that I'm on right now to take a job at a bank full time and still work some of the K-State stuff, that opened up more opportunities for me. All of a sudden, I was hosting the show uh, two hours every single day. And I got a chance to do K-State baseball, uh, start filling in women's basketball, doing some of the TV broadcasts um, with Brian Smoller, who does most of them at K-State, um, who, again, excellent broadcaster and a mentor of mine who started opening some doors for me there. So um, yeah, it was kind of just a matter of being around for a long time, doing a good job and, um, right place, right time with some of that stuff. And, uh, so I got, I got pretty involved and ingratiated with K-State pretty early on in my career, which gave me, you know, my early twenties, I, I had some opportunities that a lot of people who had to go to, to smaller markets. Um, I remember like Moberly, Missouri, I want to say is a place I, I interviewed before I knew I would have this job. Was very fortunate that I was in a place that I knew, a place that I loved, and being able to be around Division One athletics like right off the bat out of out of college. What was it like interviewing Bill Snyder? Because he was notoriously maybe a little snippy sometimes at the press, uh, and I I remember seeing you had him on your show relatively frequently. What was it like talking to him? Yeah, man. I, I mean, very very. Boy, we could do an entire podcast about just the the Bill Snyder era and some of the ins and outs and dynamics of the relationship between him and the media. But now I'm glad that it, we're having this conversation now as opposed to 2018. At the end, you know, it was very contentious. And that last year, um, I guess as I'll kind of work backwards here, um, he did. He blew up on me. Um, it's something I still get memed every once in a while with that. Uh, the quote, I believe, was write what the hell you want to write, which, you know, of course, I'm not a writer, but I don't expect Bill Snyder to really take the time to know or care, um, which was it was just a line of questioning about the quarterbacks. It, it was pretty clear they were it was just puzzling the decision why they were playing one over the other. I just asked three questions back to back to back and, and he didn't like that, took exception to it. Um, so it was always kind of a dance, you know, I mean, he was never going to give you very much information. Um, you had to work really hard. You had to pick your spots. 
because the whole college town dynamic, it's very, it's just so much different than a regular media market. Like Bill Snyder had all the power in Manhattan and you had to be careful how much you came after him. I, in fact, I actually lost, um, I'd been filling in doing jumbotron hits, um, pre and post game and then in game, like scoreboard updates. I lost the opportunity to do one of those games because uh, Sean Snyder was upset with that whole thing after Bill. So like, you, you know, you had to pick your spots, but in the end, you know, I mean, the guy basically built the town. He was the reason that I was doing what I was doing. Um, I would not have had the love for sports casting and everything that I did if not for him. So there was, there was always this respect and you understand that we're all here because of him. But at the same time, there's always going to be that dynamic between media and coach where you're trying to get information out of them that they don't really want to get out there. And uh, especially a guy like Snyder, who I think had just been trained rightfully so throughout his career that the media was maybe not out to get him, but just not always the most friendly to him. I mean, especially I can remember early on in his career, just cutting him down, not giving him a lot of credit. And so it turned into, Hey, well, um, I'm going to go do my thing and kind of shut down and I don't really need you guys. And so there was always a little bit of that going on, but I have, utmost respect for him and his accomplishments. And I mean, I mean, this is a sports discussion, but I would, I would debate the merits of the coaching job that he did in college football against anybody in college football history. I, I think it's a tough thing to say like greatest coach in college football history, because there's so many apples to oranges that you have to compare there. Um, but to take K-State from the losing his program in college football history to a couple of big 12 championships within an eyelash of playing for the national championship less than 10 years after he took over said program. Um, it's incredible. And I think it is the best coaching job in college football history. So now, and I did, I just had him on the podcast I'm doing now with Aaron Lockett, who's a former K-State football player. He had a, Bill Snyder had a book come out recently within the last couple of months. And we had him on the show and he was great. Um, he was great. Much more relaxed these days, I think, than, <laughs> than back when, uh, back when we were doing the press conference thing. So, uh, definitely love the guy and appreciate him and, and everything he did for, for my school. And then honestly, me personally too. Do you think he remembered who you were or that you're just a different media guy that this is the day he's talking to you and didn't make the connection? Well, the, the funny part about that is, you know, I mean, so I was on the beat for like 10 years with eight of which was covering him. But yeah, I don't know that he really knew too much of us real specifically. But the, the only thing that makes me think like maybe so is that actually it was my YouTube channel before it kind of evolved into what it is now. I would just post some K-State stuff every once in a while. And I, I actually, you know, back in college, I was doing a lot of video editing. So I kind of had that as a hobby and I would mash together some K-State highlight films basically and try to do a little video editing, mainly during the pandemic is when that started. And I was bored. And he on Twitter shouted out the YouTube channel a couple of times and shouted me out there. So that was when I was like, okay, maybe he does know who I am. To be honest with you, man, I don't know. I covered the team for eight <laughs> years. I was in the questions every day. I, I I could not totally tell you. Um, I think he knew Kellis Robinette, who was the Kansas City Star beat guy, because he would also infamously get angry at him every once in a while. And uh, I think he obviously knew Tim Fitzgerald, who's just kind of an establishment and a mainstay that's been there for like 30 years. But uh, I don't know. It's a great question. If you ever get Bill Snyder on, you ever talk to Bill Snyder, you ask him. And I would be very, very intrigued to know his answer. And I, my feelings would not be hurt if the answer is no. It would not be. <laughs> so the reason we kind of started off this conversation uh, talking about being second with the Jim Nance Award is that you, first of all, I mean, we've listened to a lot of each other's work and we're good friends, so I I don't want this to come off the wrong way. But you had every bit as much talent as, you know, a lot of people who are doing some some really big-time jobs now. And you kind of are in the same group at that time, and it just hasn't gone. You've still you've been around a D1 program. You've gotten some chances. It's not like... Uh, you haven't had any success. I'm certainly not trying to indicate that, but I think that again, you and me have talked about this. We have always, from college on, are ingrained with, here's the linear path. You're not really a success unless you get to be a major D1 broadcaster, a major market talk show host, something along that lines. And I think that it's really important to maybe not necessarily define success that way, which is why I wanted to talk to you. And hopefully I didn't say that in a way that made it almost sound insulting, like you didn't make it, because I think you're you're phenomenal. But I guess what would you say to that? I, it's not a very eloquently asked question, but I think you know what, where I'm trying to go. No, 100%. And, and no offense taken at all. And I, I, 
I'm frankly very glad that you're having this conversation with me because I think like, especially in today's day and age with how many avenues there are to have a platform and how many different ways, like how different the path is even then 10 years ago in 2011, when we were coming up, there are just way more ways to get yourself out there to get satisfaction, enjoyment out of what it is that you're doing to have an audience that I think it's a worthy conversation to have with, with especially young sportscasters that are coming up, but it does not have to be this linear path where you're going from doing high school games to a small college to then you get a D one job and then you're doing NFL games. That is, it's just so rare and the opportunities and, and jobs are so few and there are so many people out there doing it. And now with the advent of podcasts and YouTube, just things that in 2011, I had no perception of even being an option or being available at all. To me, it was all just, it's got to be just a linear, like go through radio, become a sports talk host, become a play-by-play guy, whatever. And that, that frankly, yeah, it's just not the way that it worked out for me. And I'm pretty happy these days with, with where things are at and the way my YouTube channel took off and still being able to have a podcast and a connection in the K-State world. Honestly, Twitter has been a huge help. And I, I kind of cringe saying that a little bit, but I, I definitely have a voice and some some level of clout there, which kind of helped when I left the radio world, feeling like I still had a voice. And there's just so many ways to do it, long story short, that I think it is a worthy conversation. And the other thing is you you and I both know this, man, like the industry is just brutal and it can be really hard to to climb your way up the ladder. And so being able to keep a more open mind about that and what can success be and how can you still live a fulfilling life? I mean, those are the lessons that I just had to learn over time where I wasn't even thinking about that when I was younger, because to me, it was all about, I, I did. I mean, to be honest, like I felt some level of pressure and expectation from the fact that I was that high up in the Jim Nance uh, award, the runner up for the Jim Nance award coming out in 2011 and looking what Alex Faust did uh, and how quickly he elevated through the ranks, you know, it was like, man, like, why is this not happening for me? But that doesn't mean that that can be the only definition of success. And for a long time, that was the only lens I viewed it through. And it just led me down the road of a lot of problems and never getting where I wanted to go. And there, there are things like, as I look back on it and reflect on it, like I definitely, I mentioned this earlier, but it's very easy for me to see. Like when I was younger, I just, I wasn't really confident as a person. And so I hadn't developed like the social skills really necessary to be confident and go out there and relationship build and put my name out there, put my stuff out there, do the things that are necessary to really, really grind in the industry to work your way up. I was just, I was just kind of a shy, quiet college kid who had a really a, a talent, obviously for broadcasting, but the rest of my life was not up to speed with my sportscasting ability. And it just kind of over time, I started to get a little better at that and a little better at that. And I got better as a sportscaster and I came close to some things, but Eventually, I just did a breaking point where in my personal life, I just needed more. And there were different avenues opening up. My YouTube channel popped. All of a sudden, I had a big audience. So long story short, it's like it worked out in a lot of ways right now, but not the way that I thought. And I mean, I, I'll share some stories. Like I, I I wanted to be a play-by-play guy at first. I really pursued that. And there was a day I remember getting kind of far into the interview process for the Florida. It was like Florida women's basketball, softball job. Lacrosse. but. What's that? Wasn't lacrosse part of that too? I think so. Yeah, there, there were like four or five sports. Yeah. And a lot of it was a great opportunity. And I mean, honestly, if I could have pulled it off, it very well could have led to some things. But I found out, you know, into the interview process, they're like, well, it's not full time. You won't have benefits. It's going to pay like, I don't remember what the pay was, but not something you could live off of. And it was like, you're going to have to travel with these teams and then find a way to make it outside of that. And I was like, man, I mean, I just uproot my life and move to Gainesville and try and figure that out. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do, drive Uber the rest of the time. I just, it didn't seem very feasible to me. And I was just like, man, by this point, I'm in my mid twenties. Like these jobs just are not coming open very often. I'm not in a position to really do much of this. Let me see if I can, I really just wanted to be in a bigger city. So I started going like, all right, let me pursue sports talk. Let me pursue sports talk. I had enough reps there that I felt like I was pretty good. And I tried and tried and tried in Kansas city. I interviewed, at both stations here, one of which I interned at, the other I was doing a free podcast for. I mean, I felt like I was doing everything right that you were supposed to do to get there. And there was one opportunity in particular I remember interviewing, auditioning, feeling great for, and I didn't get. And I was just like, man, I just don't know that this is ever going to happen. And I, I got a text from the same guy 
who's who's still hosting that show a couple of years later after they wound up getting rid of the person that was hired in front of me. And he said, dude, I told him to hire you, but we're in a hiring freeze. I just, and it was like, at that point, that was one of the final straws where I just remember being like, man, like I, I enjoyed this. I feel like I've given it my all. I don't think it's going to happen this traditional pathway uh, that, uh, you know, that, that it was that in my head, it was designed out. I'll get into a bigger market. It'll pop. I'll be a success. And everything will come from there. And that was the moment I was just like, this just isn't going to happen. I need to find a different way. And so I, I wound up finding a different way. And, and in the end, it's resulted in, in me still being plenty happy. And we'll get more into that that different way a little bit later. But you brought up all the sacrifices you have to make to try for basically a complete uncertainty. And a lot of times that means you know, living on barely enough to get by or sacrificing personal or romantic relationships, uh, uprooting yourself and moving to Gainesville for an opportunity, a great part in that. What are some of the, the sacrifices that you were willing to make earlier that, or maybe that you did, did make earlier that you wouldn't do today? Yeah, I think that's a, it's a great point, a great question. It's something that like, Again, if we're talking about young sportscasters, like things you need to know, like, yeah, it, it, I mean, it will take that kind of sacrifice. Like, I think there are a couple stories that come to mind um, before I get into just like how it worked out personally with me. I mean, Josh Graham, I, I know is a, a guy that both of us know and have known for a while going back to these same conferences that we're talking about. Um, Josh Graham's first job it was in Ray, Colorado. I mean, that's a guy who grew up in North Carolina. He moved all the way out to this tiny town in Colorado, did exactly what you're supposed to do though, made the sacrifice, got better, came back. And now, I mean, he's killing it in the triad area in North Carolina and is going to be, I mean, I have no doubt in my mind, he's going to be a national sports taco someday. He's a, an incredible talent. I think of like Ari Temkin, who's now works with the Cowboys and big 12 radio with Sirius. I remember talking to him about his story where he just up and left and moved to Austin because he was not getting the, the attention, didn't think he had the opportunities where it was that he was at, up and leaves, goes to Austin, takes a chance, and it paid off in spades for him. And and now, you know, he's a stud doing really, really big time things. Like those are the kinds of things that you have to do. And again, these are I remember him telling me like he basically went sight unseen almost. He had kind of talked to a place about being a board op, but I don't even think it worked out at the original place you showed up to Austin for. So like, those are the kinds of things you have to do. And I look back on it like that. That is the thing. When I was younger, I mean, I, I loved Manhattan and still do love Manhattan. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, about the time I hit like 25, like you're, you're ready for something more. You're ready for a bigger town, um, especially being me, somebody that grew up in a, in a major metro in Kansas City. Like I was ready to go somewhere else, but I had to, I mean, I sat there for six years after that, still trying to fight and scrap and move my way up in the industry. And it just never quite worked out. So there, there's one sacrifice, you know, being somewhere that you don't necessarily want to be the pay, you know, I, I have, I'm eternally grateful to Manhattan Broadcasting. They treated me as well as, as I think they've really treated anybody on air there, but there's a, there's a limit to what you're going to be able to make in that kind of an environment broadcasting wise, you know, and I think my best year, shoot, like it was working like 60 to 70 hour weeks in the fall, picking up extra TV work for the American Athletic Conference, a little bit with Wichita State, K-State, and just busting my butt, like small college football on TV. You know, I made like $45,000 that year, maybe. And that was the high watermark. Like it's, you're not getting rich. And the older that you get, the more you start looking around at people with families. And I'm sitting here thinking, man, I work these nights and weekends, like nine months of the year, all the time, grinding, doing high school games, like whatever it is. And I am way behind financially. I am not satisfied personally with the, it just doesn't leave you much time for being a family man, relationships, all those sorts of things. And those are things that I sacrificed for a long time. And that is what came to a, came to a head eventually, you know, probably honestly about a year and a half, two years before I actually jumped and made the move to Kansas city, where in my mind, I was kind of like committed, like, okay, I, I need to take care of these other areas of my life and still see if I can find a way to do sports casting on the side. Eventually that just kind of ran out for me. And I, I don't want to say that it totally took my passion away from sports casting, but it, I was not in the same place that I was at 23 or 24 where like I may have made a move to just jump and take more of a chance and not be making any money and all that. Like I just hit a point where it was, I needed more out of my life. And uh, so that's where I got to actually the last thing I remember before I got this job at Reese Nichols, which has been amazing by the way. And I actually, 
I have enjoyed kind of jumping out of broadcasting a little bit. I did get a call about a midday producer job at a station in, in Kansas City. Not that it was going to be a guarantee. I would have had to go through the interview process and all that. But in finding out some of the details, like it would have been a significant pay cut from what I was making. No real guarantees as far as airtime goes. And like, that's the kind of thing at 23, 24, I would have still jumped on by the time I was 31. It was like, man, I just, I don't have it in me to do that. That's, that's not the route that's going to make me the most happy. Was there a specific tipping point or was it just kind of all those things together? Is there like one moment that you can remember where you're just like, okay, that's it? Or was it just a culmination of everything you just said? Kind of a, a culmination. Like there, there are line, marks along the way that, that stand out to me where I started gradually getting to that point. Um, one of them was definitely, so it was like April 2019 when I, I thought I crushed the audition for this job to be uh, in an afternoon drive hosting position in, in Kansas City and um, didn't get it. That was a big blow where it started being like, man, if it's not going to happen there, like, is this going to happen? Then there was another opening at that station about a year later, and I didn't even get like an interview or any real traction on that. And then, okay, so they're like, there's another one. Right before the pandemic, I went to the BSM Summit, Barrett Sports Media, you know, to try and network as much as I could for sports talk. And it just, it, it was fun. I had a great time, but I wasn't seeing a lot of real traction from that. And then the pandemic hit. And I guess if there's one thing that really kind of did it, it was like a couple of those things that added up. Then the pandemic hit and I started seeing what it was doing to the radio industry. And it's like, man, it does not seem like the radio industry is going to come out of this very healthy. I, I think my chances are less at this point in time. I may need to start thinking about doing this differently. And then it was all about a long path on like becoming confident in yourself, being able to do something else. Uh, I've never thought about doing anything else. What is it that I do? You know, there, there was kind of a probably a 18 month existential crisis to, to try and figure it all out. But it was all ushered in by a couple of blows in the job market. Then the pandemic, just like throwing gas on that fire and being like, man, sports casting does not look like it's in a in a great shape. Traditionally, at least the route that I was chasing. And so that's when I really started thinking about doing something different. We say all this. Not because we want to be negative. We're going to change the tone now. We, I, I just wanted to make the point that the difference between you and Eric Faust is, is really not that different talent-wise. A couple breaks. There's way more John Kurtz's than there are Faust, right? That's just the reality of it. Because it is hard, there's so few jobs. And talent definitely matters. But luck and being in the right place at the right time with the right person it matters more. Now what you've been able to do, and especially during the pandemic, is start to think outside the box in ways to leverage the audience and leverage your skills. And you've mentioned several times that you've built a YouTube channel, which now has over 12,000 subscribers, which is probably more people than are you know, paying attention to a lot of radio shows. Um, and that's turned into a way not only to continue your passion, but also has been pretty financially lucrative. And I'm not asking you to give any like actual numbers or anything, but how did you fall into that? And then how did it blow up? Well, I, as much as I uh, hate on them on the reg, on the radio, well, the YouTube show, I probably owe uh, Joe Castiglione and Chris Del Conte, the athletic directors at Oklahoma and Texas, uh, a cut of everything that I've made because it was absolutely conference realignment uh, that blew it all up. But I will share with you on, on the theme of, hey, let's try to keep this positive because it is. I truly do believe like the way that it's worked out for me is a very positive story and it, it should be something that can help other people that are in this similar situation, like start to think about things. One of the lowest days of my life that I remember very vividly was right before all of this happened. It was in, Ju it was in July. It was literally like the week of the bombshell drops that Texas and Oklahoma are leaving for the sec. Right. And that week I'd been back in Kansas city, hanging out with my dad. I think I just took some time off of work and I was the YouTube stuff was I had just released like a couple videos when my channel was just K-State stuff. It was just K-State before I would take stuff I did on the radio and plop it on the channel. It was not making me any money. I was just kind of doing it to have a little bit extra platform. 
And I made a video right after that happened called like K-State, where, what happens to K-State and conference realignment? They got like 15,000 views, which, you know, usually I'm getting maybe a thousand. And I was like, okay, there might be something to this. So I, that's what I just started covering realignment as much as I could. And it just took off like crazy. But like the first week that that's happening, I'm back in Kansas City and I get a call from this recruiter. I had been, you know, job searching just for non-broadcast jobs and it had not been going very well. Like I was, you know, doubting whether or not I was going to be able to do it, uh, ever really pull it off. I was like, am I going to have to just up and move to Kansas City with no job and try and figure it out? Um, very stressed. And I get a call out of the blue. They're like, hey, there's this place called Reese Nichols. Um, you should go interview. Like it's it's a great opening we think it would fit your skill set really well i'm like okay i'm actually here in town all right let's set it up for tomorrow let's do it so i went to target and i bought some clothes uh because i didn't have anything with me and i'm like all right let's do it literally an hour before the interview i got a text message from the recruiter that was like hey i am so sorry like they wound up hiring the last person that they interviewed so like yeah this is just done and i was like just crushed i was like man i thought i finally had this pulled off like and i just remember it's like, dude, I don't, I'm not making any money. I can't, no, now I'm even trying to find jobs outside of the broadcast industry and this isn't working. And it was a low moment, a low, low moment. Well, what happened then? YouTube channel started to take off, um, which, you know, the financial part of it is just secondary to the fact that it was like, I was talking about what I really, truly loved and wanted to talk about, which was Big 12 sports. You know, as great as it would have been to be a talk show host in Kansas City, and I love the Chiefs and and love the Royals, but my my true passion is college sports. Well, here I'm talking about what it is that I want to talk about with my slants every single day, and like people are responding to this, and now I have a way bigger audience all of a sudden than I ever did with my radio show in Manhattan. So, you know, to some I think that are stuck in an old school mentality, it would be like, oh, well, you lost the platform and you gave up the radio show. It's like, no, man, I have a way bigger platform right now than I ever did before. And I get to use the same skills and talk about what it is that I want. And yes, by the way, I mean, it's crazy. Like I'm going to wind up making about as much money as I did off that YouTube channel with my first radio job full time for an entire year this year. And I don't know if it's always going to be like that. Realignment's not going to happen every single year, but all of that just came together. And then literally like two months later, I got a text from the same recruiter that was like, hey, things didn't work out with that person they hired. They wound up, they had interviewed for a couple jobs. They decided to take this other job. Do you want to go back to an interview with Reese Nichols? And I was like, no, oh, maybe. And they were like, well, here's the salary. It's up a little bit from last time. And I was like, okay, I'll listen. And anyway, the pieces all fell into place. I would not have, if the job with Reese Nichols had worked out the first time around, I probably would not have put as much into the YouTube channel. I probably would have just, never really gone anywhere but this gave me the chance to build that up so i had that i've got that platform i've still got a voice and i feel satisfied in the broadcasting sense now i get to come back home to kansas city i'm in downtown kansas city which is where i wanted to live and just financially in a much much better place than i've ever been in my life and just satisfied in a lot more areas of my life than i ever was before so it's crazy how things can work out there are different ways if you stick to it um there are different ways to do it multiple ways to skin a cat for sure so if someone wanted to build a platform on YouTube, you may not be able to catch the lightning in a bottle that you did uh, happening to fall on conference realignment right at a time when they were realigning. But if there's a lot of different ways to build an audience on YouTube, uh, what type of equipment is required? Um, how often are you doing this? Uh, what would you recommend if someone wanted to go down that path how how would you go about it if you were going to give advice to someone thinking about it on the edge? Yeah, for sure. I would say consistency, 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 consistency. And don't, you can't, I know I just rattled off like somehow it's worked out now for me and how beneficial that's been, but you can't go into it with this idea like, oh, this is going to be a money maker, and I'm doing it for the money. I mean, it, it's still, I started doing it just because I, I wanted more exposure. I felt like I was doing a good job talking about K-State and the Big 12, and I just wanted more exposure uh, for that. So if you go into it for, like, truly, like, I enjoy doing this, I want to reach a bigger audience, and you have to think long-term. Because I did, I had a YouTube channel for, like, two years where, I mean, you know, again, it was, like, the same circle of people that were generally listening to my radio show that would listen for some K-State stuff, and that was about it. Um, and it was a grind. Like, it, it's not hard to put the videos up. Like it's not really a hard process, but it is kind of time consuming and just a little tedious. 
And you just have to be willing to commit to keep doing it and doing it and doing it and be consistent and wait until there is that moment or that story or that video that will pop for you that kind of helps elevate my status. And, I'm, you know, it's it's how I read a lot. I read some books. Uh, gosh, I wish I could think of what the one book was that I read that kind of gave me that same advice. It was like, just be consistent with it and do your best, like follow best practices here. And I can get into, you know, some of that and some of what I've done with that. And eventually you'll start to build an audience. And a lot of times what happens is you get one video that goes, that goes big, gets real popular. And then that can really be the jumping off point. Um, but you got to be dedicated and be consistent as far as equipment. Like that is one thing I would tell people, don't worry so much about that. Just start making content. You can do it literally with your phone. And like, if you go look at the first videos that I had, it was either just stuff that I had, I would record on the mic at the radio station and then just throw a picture behind it. There's a, there's an app or a website called headliner. You just search, search headliner. They'll make cool little videos where you can just put in a picture and a waveform. you know, it'll show the little audio waves. It's pretty nifty. It's pretty easy. And you can just upload those straight to YouTube. I was just doing that for a while. And then I started using like the little camera on my crappy old <laughs> work laptop that was like, you know, six or seven years old. It was not good at all. It didn't look good. Uh, but it was video. It was my face. It was up there. And I had some videos in the beginning of realignment that got 50,000 views of me on this crappy camera. It's not, don't worry so much about that. Um, eventually I did upgrade and I think it looks better and helps your, you know, it's going to help if you have better equipment, but do not go in with that mindset at first. It needs to be get content out there and be consistent. Those are the two main things. And as much as you can, I try really hard to balance not being too clickbaity with the headlines, but really it's more like understanding your audience and what is going to actually drive interest and, and drive the conversation and working that into your title. Like that's where I think some of the skill that I learned in sports casting really paid off. It's like, if you're thinking about a radio show, like, all right, what's topic A today? You know, like what, what is going to really drive the conversation here in Kansas city? Obviously you're going to be, you're going to be talking about the chiefs today, but it, you don't want to title your video like, oh, Chiefs win last night. Oh, God, what was the final? 42 to 21. Um, you don't want to make it Chiefs win 42-21. It's like Patrick Mahomes is back and he's not going anywhere. Like, you know, uh, a, a headline, that seems fairly obvious, but, like, make sure that the headline and the, the little picture, the thumbnail that you're putting there is something that's going to attract somebody's attention. And to me, I always thought of that in the same way as, like, radio. What are my first words of the segment going to be? Not, oh, hey, welcome in. Chiefs win 42-21. It's like, dude. You see that game last night? Like the old Pat is back and he's not going anywhere. That's how you start it. And that's how you want to draw in people's attention. And that's, that's basically all it was for me. It was just a matter of taking that, figuring out what it was on each video that was going to drive the, the conversation and then just being really, really patient with it and dedicated and kind of a mini microcosm of the same grind that we talk about in the industry but you just have to, you just have to be consistent. And eventually the audience came for me. And that's, that's just how it worked out. I think it's really interesting because you mentioned earlier, the future of, of sports radio and radio and broadcasting on traditional outlets. And I don't think the traditional broadcasting outlets are necessarily going anywhere, but I do think they're going to continually be more fragmented, less lucrative, and I think that finding your own way on YouTube or with streaming or with podcasting or with uh, some other way that some creative person has thought of that I haven't yet on TikTok or something, uh, there's so many ways to not have to follow you know, the traditional rules to success, and I think more and more as we move down that road with so many traditional outlets having trouble finding advertisers and an audience that honestly, the way that you're going and the way that I'm going may be better <laughs> long-term and could lead to maybe not as much notoriety, but certainly as much success. Yeah. And I think some of it too, is just like how we, it's how we consume things now. It, it allows more, there's more room for niche, like finding a niche. Like what I have found is a, is a, a real community of people who love the big 12 and love big 12 sports. And like before 
you know, 10 years ago, uh, the sports talk stations here in town in Kansas City, they they will give KUK State Missouri, like the Big 12, a little bit of airtime. But it's, you know, at the time, it was probably maybe 25% of the airtime. Nowadays, it's probably more like 5 or 10% because the Chiefs are such a big deal. Um, but that's exactly it. Like, it's just, it was hard for people like that to find what they want. So like, if you can find like a niche audience like that, um, people are out there and like, people want that content and people are on YouTube all the time. Um, or podcasts. Like I know every, I saw someone talking about this the other day and I thought it was so poignant. Like it's easy to get dissuaded from starting a podcast because people say, Oh, it's oversaturated. There's too many people out there doing it. And yes, there are a bazillion podcasts out there. That is true. What there are not are a bazillion podcasts of people making quality content who are consistent and don't give up on it. Like you have a lot of people that start a podcast, do five episodes, realize that it's hard to keep doing this every day. Take a year off. And yeah, and just, (laughs) and just drop it. And so like, if you, if you can be consistent with whether it's YouTube or because YouTube's the same way, you know, there are a bazillion YouTube channels out there, but if you find the niche, you're doing good quality content, you're passionate about it. You know, I truly do believe like, eventually you will find that audience. And that's the kind of thing. It just fills in to me a lot of the gaps um, that you, you had before with the traditional mediums that are out there. I'm with you. Like, I don't think two major sports stations here in Kansas city that I keep referencing. Like, I don't think they're going anywhere. You're, you're, I think you're always going to have some elements of the local TV coverage. Um, you're obviously still going to have games broadcasted. Like there will still be routes and avenues there, but pigeonholing yourself there is getting tougher and tougher. And I think limiting yourself to the possibilities that are there. So I just think, yeah, having a more open mind to what does exist out there today and how much more opportunity there is. I mean, even, even tech, like you mentioned, TikTok, like people are making a lot of money off of TikTok, And that is one thing where I'm like, so I'm 32. I'm like straddling this line of I'm on there every once in a while. I do think some of it's funny, but as a creator, I don't fully, I don't have like a full grasp on all the tools at my disposal to use it. And I started to and tried to when I, before I had this full-time job in Kansas city as a way to like, Hey, can I build up a following? And actually like in doing very minimal effort, I mean, I had built up at least a couple hundred followers, something like that. And I mean, very minimal effort. Um, so that that's an option too, depending on it. You know, if you're younger and you really understand that, like that's another great way to be creative and like satisfy the same kind of, um, itch that you would have for doing a radio show, some kind of performative broadcast element there. That's obviously still in creating content, even on TikTok. So there are just so many ways to do it. Um, monetizing websites. Um, uh, there's this website I use a lot in prep, honestly, Heartland College Sports. They just cover the Big 12, basically, just like a blog site set up by a couple of guys. And they just cover every single little thing. They're consistent. They pay attention. They use social media find stories that are happening on Twitter, like everything going on in the big 12, you can find it there. They post to the right Facebook groups. They get all kinds of comments on their articles. Like there are just people that are doing it it, it, instead of having to work at the Kansas city star or something that have their own blog. Like there's just a million ways to do it. Million ways to find inspiration. It's just all, all about being passionate. I think and being as consistent as you can with the content. I mean, as I mentioned in the last episode, uh, which you haven't heard yet because it doesn't actually exist yet when we're recording this. We're, we're, we're moving ahead. There's the fourth wall being taken away. But like I did a lot of really deep soul searching. I came up with kind of five things that I think in my mind are what I love about sports broadcasting and are what, what I need for a successful career. And for, to me, those are I love being an entertainer. You can get that on any platform. I get a rush. Every time at the beginning of of a broadcast, maybe not so much on this podcast. This is more casual, but literally, it's like a physical like dopamine rush that it just feels good, and I love it. I love telling stories. I love having a connection with an audience. Uh, I want to have a comfortable lifestyle, and kind of with a lot of the stuff we've been through, I want to be be there for my wife and my family, and everything in that that is really what's important the things that i love i can get working for myself and not having to work for someone so i guess what are the things and i didn't give you any time to prepare for this so i'm putting you on the spot what are the things that you love about the business that you want to keep doing 
and what are the things you're you're searching for? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I, the, the things the things that I love. I mean, it's the same kind of thing to you. Like you get you get used to being an entertainer, and I, I think that especially like that came more for me with the talk show host than it did play by play. And I still do, man. I mean, one thing, if there's something, I guess I'll answer right off the top of the, 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 right off the bat here. If there is something I miss and would like to do more of, I I just got a call recently about an opportunity that may allow me to do some of that, but play by play is like, I mean, that was my first love. That is what I thought I was better at in the beginning. And there is an undeniable rush that you get from, calling a game live whether it's on tv whether it's on radio um there is an undeniable rush there when a big play happens and you get to be the one narrating that um that can't really be replicated i do miss that i don't get that very often um that is something i would like to be able to pick up more of in in the future for sure but the same thing like being an entertainer and having an audience and feeling like you can just be on and be yourself and have people like legitimately just care what you have to say um that is something you can pick up a lot of places and it is that is like what drives me and what what keeps me going um and some of that's a little i honestly feel like a little selfish and like egotistical to say like you enjoy the fact that people care about your opinion but that's kind of the whole idea right of of hosting a sports talk show and and one thing i was not very good at in the beginning that i got way better at over the years from help from a lot of people that really pushed me in that direction that would critique my work was like be more of an entertainer. Don't just be talking about the box score and what happened. Like be an entertainer, go outside of that, do whatever it is that you can to add entertainment value to the show. I love that. I love that. And I still listen to a ton of podcasts and sports radio shows and everything and really respect and admire people that do that well. So I think, I think that's the main thing. I also just think there's, there's, there's like a camaraderie that comes with it. And it's, so I enjoy like having conversations like this with a, with a guy like you that I know has been through like these same battles not just in terms of actual like on air, what it takes to do an on air broadcast, but like what it takes to try and fight up in the industry. There's a camaraderie that comes with that, that I do. um, I do feel like is something that drives me and I want to keep and maintain. And that's why, you know, I hope that people view what I'm doing now is legitimate enough to, to still be involved in, uh, in some of that. So, yeah, I think those are, those are a couple of things that I, I really do enjoy about sports casting, want to keep and think are very valuable there the tough parts are, you know, there are all kinds of parts about the industry that I don't miss. And, and uh, I think we've really covered a lot of that. It's just the <laughs> sacrifice basically that you, you have to give up there. And, and if there is one thing, man, it is that, that live rush, probably the toughest thing. If you're doing a talk show right now, hopping onto YouTube, Twitch, or doing a podcast. You can get in my experience anyway, pretty close to the same feeling that you do when the light goes on for a live radio show every day. Play by play is tougher. So, you know, if you're if you're just strictly into play by play, then it comes down to, you know, finding your opportunities and just being able to still do games because there's not much of a substitute for an actual game. But people like you have laid the groundwork for, you know, how you find that even if you aren't doing it in the the kind of traditional way. So it's definitely, definitely possible to do. The other thing I wanted to dive into a little bit, because I know for me, you know, getting that live rush, telling the stories, getting the audience connection. It, really the only difference between doing a high school game or doing a Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl is the audience size and the, the stroke your ego gets from it, right? Uh, to say that I have one of the 32 highest jobs at this level. But now, over time, with the understanding that obviously the people who are there have the talent, but there are 50 other people for every every person at one of those jobs who has as much talent or enough talent that once I was able to say, you know what, I get everything here that I'm looking for and that I love. And why do I care about what anyone else thinks outside of this? Why do I need that, that ego stroke? I think that was the turning point for me. It makes a ton of sense because like, I think back to even just my, my career. And again, like I never got to, any crazy high level at all when it comes to to play by play, but you know, I've done division one college athletics. I've done, you know, uh, an event for the big 12, big 12 indoor track and field. That was very cool. But I think back to like, I got as much satisfaction out of doing high school girls basketball when I was first starting out as I did with that. Because, and I remember like it was the only frustrating part was like, 
it was harder to, and this is, you know, probably being a millennial, like our generation, we want to share everything on social media. Right. And it was like, at the beginning, I felt like, well, I share this, but like nobody really cares because it's a high school basketball game that, you know, most of my friends aren't really paying much attention to. It's a little easier than if you're doing like a, a K-State game to be able to share the the cut up reel that comes from K-State's social media accounts and have people be like, Oh, like, Hey, that's, that's pretty cool. But in terms of the satisfaction I got from it, I was putting just as much into it, if not more, when I was first starting out, just doing high school games, like you, your blood, sweat and tears is in that broadcast, man. So like, I think what you said is pretty, pretty apropos. And, and it just comes, a lot of it comes to like being able to put the ego to the side, which was something I struggled with immensely until about two years ago when I kind of started getting into this transformation of like, let me put together a different route to happiness in life. I would sit there on Twitter all the time and look at guys and be like, man, I am more talented than this guy. How is it that he has a bigger platform than me? How is it that he, and it, it, it got to the point toward the end of that where it was like, I, I'm either going to have to like get off Twitter or just really reevaluate how I'm doing things here. And there's just, there's no happiness in that. There's, it doesn't help you at all in your career. It is everything everybody would tell you not to do. But once you get to some of those low points, it can be hard to avoid. And I think you can do that, put your ego to the side and be like, man, I'm doing this for me. I'm doing this because I love it. I'm doing this because I want to share the stories of these teams. And I love these coaches and players that I'm working with and being able to broadcast to that audience. Um, if you can mentally get yourself there, you're right. Like there's, there's not much difference and it can allow you to still live a very fulfilling life. And at the base level, you're getting everything out of it that we all love about broadcasting games, which is the high of being there and being the one as, as the action's going on. So part of me wonders why I wasn't able to figure out some of this stuff earlier in life. And then part of me is like, you know what, if you told 22 year old you that this was going to make you happier down the road he would have said go to hell (laughs) it wouldn't have believed you I don't know if it's just that I I mean I'm 36 I think you said you're 31 we're I would say young veterans in the business we've been around a while but we're still early enough in the career that there's there's plenty of time to to build and move up if we if we chose to I don't know if I would have been able to handle that idea or if that's something that I needed kind of some age and a traumatic experience to get to. Uh, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? If you had, if you were able to get the, uh, Marty McFly time machine and go back, back to the future, would you be able to convince yourself otherwise? It, it would be tough. It would be tough because when you're, when you're young and, um, just a little more like, high apple pie in the sky hopes kind of a dude at that point in time you you know you just feel like you can take on the world more or for me it was more like I knew I was really talented I knew I was lacking in some of the uh social skills that I probably needed but it was like I've got time man I'm I'm young as hell like I'm just out of college surely something like this talent talent will win over everything else at a certain point in time it'll be fine like you're just young and it's easy to just brush it off brush it off I think to be honest, like a lot of times in life, we just, we do need to go through some of those experiences and there's not really much of a substitute for it. Because I think like what you said, I think about the kid in the picture, you sent me that picture of me in 2011 after getting second and the Jim Nance award. And I think I'm trying to go talk to that kid probably would listen a little bit, but at that point, like there was just nothing else on my mind other than like sports and sports casting. And I couldn't imagine doing anything else. And I think that's, that's really a part of it. Like if there is one thing that I could stress that can be helpful early, that's probably a concept that I could have even wrapped my head around at that point in time is like the less that you can tie your total identity to what it is that you do, even if it is something as exciting as being a sportscaster, I think the better off you will be because that's what gets so hard. Like when your identity is just wrapped up in like, I am a sportscaster. That's what I do. That's what defines my life. Well, then what happens when you're not at the point that you want to be with it? What happens when you are 28, 29 years old and you're still in Manhattan, Kansas with more opportunities, but essentially working the same job that you were working when you were 23, 24? Well, then it gets, then you're, you're really hard on yourself. It's very easy to be very hard on yourself. Like, what have I accomplished in life? The only thing that defines me. I'm failing at, I'm struggling at, I'm not doing what I want to do. And I think that's when, when I had to start distancing myself and be like, look, man, I've got people in my life who are great friends of mine. I started to realize like 
for me, it was, you know, whatever it is going to be for you. For me, it was, I got really into CrossFit, uh, fitness and my friends at the gym, like they knew what I did, but we didn't really ever talk about it. And it never really got brought up in conversations. And it just dawned on me. I was like, these people, like they, they like me, they love the hell out of me. And it has nothing to do with what I do for a living. It has nothing to do with me being a sportscaster. And you know, whether that's a significant other, whoever it is in your life where you start to realize that like these people like me for other reasons, there are other things about me that are good. It's not just that I had this ability to finish runner up for the gym dance award in 2011. That I think was a huge turning point and something that is a, a thing anybody can grasp onto. It's great to have all the aspiration in the world about what you want to do as a sportscaster, but just remember, man, there, there is more to life than just that. And you, you are definitely defined by more than just, your sports casting ability, you know, even those guys at the top, I was just listening to some, some guys here locally. They have Kevin Harlan on every week uh, because he's a, he's a KC guy and just talking about like what a great guy he is and all these awesome things he's done, like for the community and for them and helping out other people. And it was like, look, man, like that's, you cannot get more talented or like better at broadcasting than Kevin Harlan. Like I do, I do not think that is physically possible. And yet that's not what defines him to a lot of people. It's who he is as a person and his family and what, you know, what he is like when he's not having a headset on. So I, I think that is like really the lesson that, that could get through to uh, even younger me. All right. Well, I'm going to keep with my tradition of finishing with a broadcast horror story on this. So I need you to dig back and find some kind of story while you're on the air setting up terrible broadcast locations, something like that uh, from your career uh, to finish up the show. I love this question, man. I love this. Uh, I actually used this in, uh, in job interviews, like outside of the industry, whenever they would ask, like, you know, like, how'd you deal with a tough situation? Like, how'd you turn something around? I was like, well, let me tell you, it was 2015. Uh, part of my job that was honestly the part I enjoyed the most about my job at Manhattan Broadcasting is doing K-State pregame radio. And so I would travel wherever it is that we were going uh, for, for 10 years, I got to travel everywhere in the Big 12 for K-State. It was awesome. And we're in Austin, and we were doing it. So we would always do the pregame show at a bar, typically at a bar. Every once in a while, we do it in the press box, most of the time at a bar, because K-State fans, especially when I first started, were traveling like crazy, and we would fill up bars and make a lot of money for everybody involved. This was kind of in the middle, 2015. It wasn't a great year for K-State, so the travel was a little bit down. It's an 11 a.m. kickoff in Austin. Uh, you know, it's a Texas football game in the last 13 years, so you know that they weren't very good. And uh, the game kicks off at 11, and uh, 7 o'clock is airtime. We're, we're on air four hours before kickoff. So we're doing it at this place where we've done the show before. But when we had done it before, it, so it's Pete's Dueling Piano Bar in Austin. And they're, I know that's like a chain there, some in Fort Worth, I think, too. But we're doing it at this dueling piano bar, which if you're already thinking like, what the hell are you doing at a dueling piano bar at 7 a.m. on a Saturday before <laughs> a game between like a couple of 500 football teams in the Big 12? I, that is a great question. Uh, when we had done it before, it was in 2011 we were there and K-State was like unbeaten or maybe had one loss. They were having a great season. Um, Texas was at least okay. And it was a night game on Fox with Gus Johnson. So it made all the sense in the world. We had this big party there on Friday night, the night before. Like, it was great. So I'm thinking, like, all right, we're going back to this place. It'll be awesome. Well, we didn't go and set up the day before, which was a massive mistake. We wake up morning of, I'm not a big, like, check the weather guy. <laughs> There's a monsoon. I mean, like, an actual, if you go look at highlights of the 2015 K-State Texas game, like, Bill Snyder got taken out on the sideline by someone who, like, slid into him. It was just a mess. It was, like, monsoon weather. And it like was messing with the internet connection. Like, so we're using ethernet to our tie line and the internet is like out and it's like six forty in the morning. We're like 20 minutes away from, you know, this network broadcast pregame show. It's going out all over the state and we're like, Oh crap. Like, what are we going to do? We're sitting there trying everything. Nothing's working. There's like one guy maybe at the bar actually working there like they're just like why am i here it's seven in the morning at a dueling piano bar that didn't even serve food they didn't serve food so again like i don't know why we did it there but we did and it's like dude we have five minutes to figure something out so we wound up doing an entire pregame show from it was me and my co-host matt walters we did it from two different cell phones i was like all right well we're gonna i was like i think if we get into 
studio number two here. They can pot us up on the phone and then they can simulcast that in through the other studio. I was like, I think there's a second foam pot there that's not labeled, but I'm not sure. And we're doing all this like five minutes before it goes on the air and working with a board op. It was a saint throughout all this. And sure enough, it, it did work. We were able to get on cell phones, but we had to stand like far enough away from each other at the bar that it wasn't like echoey and that we weren't hearing. So like our pregame broadcast was me at one end of the bar at seven in the morning in Austin at a dueling piano bar with like 10 K-State fans <laughs> there and my co-host on the other end of the bar. And we were just talking away about a game between a couple of 500 teams in the Big 12 in 2015. That K-State, of course, lost. And I had to film the game, so I was getting drenched wet the whole time. That was a pretty miserable, miserable uh, trip to Austin. Well, that's going to do it. Thank you for the great stories. Again, we are talking with John Kurtz, and I want to give you a chance to plug uh, your various platforms, your YouTube channel, your podcast that we didn't get a chance to talk to. Uh, take a minute, tell everyone how they would listen to you if they wanted to do so. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. First of all, check out the YouTube channel. Uh, just John Kurtz on YouTube, J-O-H-N-K-U-R-T-Z. Um, college football content from a Big 12 slant. You're going to get that uh, all day, every day there. Uh, on Twitter, it's at J-O Kurtz, J-O-K-U-R-T-Z. I'm on Twitter way too often if you want to know what I think about uh, Big 12 sports on the reg. And then I've got a podcast called Lock It Up with Kurtz that's on KCSN, Kansas City Sports Network, just a podcast network around here in uh, Kansas City. And, yeah, you'll catch me on some uh, some various play-by-play uh, here and there with K-State and the Big 12. Hopefully more info on that uh, coming up soon, but that's that's how you can find me. All right. Once again, John, thanks so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. Anytime, Logan. Take care, man. This has been the Say the Damn Score podcast. Thanks again to John Kurtz, my guest, and I am Logan Anderson, as always, your host. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to it on the podcast platform of your choice. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or just about any platform that you could find podcasts on, you can find the Say the Damn Score podcast. So give us a subscribe, and you can follow us on social media and get show updates on Twitter at Radio underscore Logan or on Instagram at Say the Damn Score. Thanks again for making this podcast part of your listening experience, and the next time you're on the air, remember to Say the Damn Score just a little bit more.